Insert Christmas pun here. Welcome to the Tireless M Podcast, episode 320, as Reading FC tuck into some ince pies and enjoy three Christmas points against Swansea this week. As I say, welcome to the Tireless M, the podcast by Reading fans, for Reading fans. I'm Mark Mayer, your host, and we have, well, I think this might be one of our first ever mid-Christmas shows. We usually take this period off to uh, to enjoy some rest, but I think we've had plenty of rest in the last few weeks with the World Cup break, so we're back. So I have a little episode, maybe a bit more of a bite-sized episode this week, looking at the 2-1 win over Swansea for the Royals, and to do that with me this week is Adam Jones. How's it going, mate? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. You say about rest, but uh, I was up at 4.45am this morning and uh, couldn't really get to sleep last night because you're always buzzing really after a Reading win, so I had about three hours of sleep, but it's worth it for the ding. Absolutely. These are the things that, uh, this is what Ince Ball does to you, isn't it? It uh, makes you get up early in the morning, ready for the next day, and we'll be talking about uh, the Swansea game in just a little bit, and previewing the Norwich game, which has got a very interesting twist uh, over the last couple of days, which uh, we'll be talking about. I have a bit of mailbag as well. Um, so lots to look forward to in this show. We'll, before we go into the recap, we will have just a quick uh, thank you to our sponsors, ZCZ Films and our Patreon subscribers. So without further ado, let's get into it then. Let's talk about Reading 2, Swansea 1. Come rain or shine, it's time to relive the latest match action with the recap. This podcast is sponsored by ZCZ Films, Reading's oldest ultras. Right then, Adam, there's the the big headline out of this game, I think. We had uh, Andy Cowell scoring early on, Tom Ince with the second, just in the second half. And then uh, Swansea did get back into it, had a couple of nervy moments towards the end. Actually, quite a long period of, of backs against the wall football, um, as Paul Ince will be, just have his interview a little, little bit later on. He was talking about that. But really, the headline for me that out of this game is the housery, as it's now officially known in uh, in broadcast parlance, parlance the the way that Reading have that mean, ugly streak about them now, as we saw with Andy Cowell, the way that he was playing in the game. And nothing particularly, I think, that Andy Cowell did wrong as such, just got it under the opponent's skin so much in this game. And it was really vital to the the penalty, which obviously Reading missed as well, which would have made it 2-0. We'll certainly talk about that a little bit later on. But also, one key character in this uh, this performance was Joe Lumley, with his performance in between the posts, making a number of vital saves at nil-nil, and particularly late on um, at 2-1. And th- would you call it kind of street smart? So I think it is definitely the, the old housery that got under the Swansea fans' skin. And I mean... <laughs> I'm sure it's, not everyone will agree that you, you you know you want to see your players celebrating in front of the fans, you know, from the opposition team. But I think if it happens to you, you're furious. If you do, if your players do it to them, you're kind of okay with it a little bit. If you win, at least, and um, it, it's become this this level of of street smarts, as I put it, it's a vital asset of playing under Paul Ince, isn't it? We really have to you know, give it give it everything. And because we're not the most technically savvy team, we're not going to dominate possession, all this sort of stuff. So you need to kind of play every trick in the book. And Reading, certainly in this game, showed that they're, they're kind of good at it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we do need to be street smart, definitely um, street-wise. Um, and I, I guess that comes as no real surprise. I mean, I think I was looking at Sky Sports, the average age of our squad, I think is the, the second oldest in the division. And that's no real surprise, really, when you've got the likes of Andy Cowell and, and obviously Sam Hutchinson there, you know, and 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 with that experience comes that kind of that streetwise behaviour. 
And um, you're completely right. I mean, we haven't got the most talented squad in the world. Um, so, you know, the fact that we're, you know, using every trick in the book to, to get over the line is, um, you know, it's it, it's good, really. Um, obviously, it's great that we're kind of, it's like us against the world, obviously, with a lot of pundits tipping us to go down this season, not surprisingly. We've kind of built that kind of siege mentality. Um, and we've got that kind of, yeah, as I said, that us against the world kind of mentality. Um, and, and that's kind of, perhaps emboldening us really to, to do that kind of stuff, that streetwise stuff. Um, uh, about the uh, celebrating in front of the Swansea fans, I'm not sure I'm a massive fan of that. And obviously with Lumley, whilst it's going well, well that's all good. But obviously when it when it doesn't go his way all the time, um, you know, it's, it's not exactly the best idea to do. Uh, but I think for me, you know, Lumley, I think is a, a confidence player. I think... Um, I think that was shown really in the, in the Rotherham game where he had like many many errors. Um, but at the moment he's he's on top form and um, you know he's doing very well at the moment. But yeah, we're we're doing everything we can really to, to to get over the line. And and as we said, you know we've said this many times, the main assignment really is to get to fifty points. So you know, if we can do that by hook or by crook, then um, you know we'll we'll do that. And we I think we're on what, 35, 36 points at the moment. So. You know, as long as we keep on kind of putting points on the board, then that's the only thing really that, that counts. Yeah, I think that word confidence is so key for Joe Lumley, isn't it? He's definitely a player that I think his errors come in batches, don't they? As we saw at the Rotherham game early in the season, if he's if he's behind himself and he's backing himself, and obviously, you know, Reading have put a lot of faith in him as well. It's it's we a lot of people, a lot of fans and, and pundits were surprised that Reading went for him, even more surprised that he was then the, the number one instead of Dean Boozenis or even Luke Southwood at the start of the season. So there's been a lot of faith put in Lumley and I think it's fair to say at this point of the season, now obviously we're only halfway, but he's definitely repaid that. Um, and I remember, I think it was after the Roland game, um, Ince saying he'll win us more points than he'll lose us this season. And I actually think that's that's spot on at the moment. It was a bit of a yeah, I, I do agree with you on the fans, but there's a bit of an interesting moment when one of the Swansea fans lobbed a bottle of water or something onto the pitch in frustration. Um, not Certainly not something we, we condone, but the, the way that Lumley then just picked it up and kind of poured it over himself and just kind of did this this almost kind of brave heart routine in front of shouting back at the fans as a result um, was just, I mean, I think that's the best way you respond to that sort of stuff. Yeah. You, I mean, the, throwing a bottle on the pitch takes it too far, quite frankly, even if a player is winding you up, you know, you can shout at them and, and obviously, you know, everyone pulls out the, the old kind of abuse at that stage, as long as it's all, you know, clean and everything. But and respond in that respect, I think, is is a little bit funny. Let's face it, and um, and he did a good job in in winding up the fans, which perhaps um adds to that confidence sense. It really angered uh, Russell Martin, the Swansea manager. He said, "I wanted to grab the guy by the throat and fight him, but that's not a wise thing to do." Um, and yeah, fair, fair enough, that isn't a wise thing to do. But it just kind of played into Reading's hands ultimately in terms of why we're celebrating the or the way that the win was being celebrated a little bit Emmy Martinez-esque I would say going back to the World Cup and everything with the way he was playing for Argentina obviously ex-Reading player so I think for for Lumley now I think he's done he's done very well to answer those questions at the start of the year and and really now, even if there are a couple of errors that will spring up between now and the end of the season as I'm sure there will be there's no reason not to not to kind of keep faith with him yeah, 100%. And um, I think the, the one thing that I'd like to mention really is Tony Warner, who came in um, in the summer. I've listened to a couple of 
this podcast, as I, I've said on Twitter before, and he's a real character. And I think that's kind of contributing to kind of uh, Lumley's kind of showmanship as well. I think that I think Warner had a, a similar story where he threw a bottle back into an away end and, and got arrested for it once or something like that, uh, something along those lines. So, yeah, I think having a, a big character like Tony Warner in there who's know you know very good um you know entertainment really um as well as a good goalkeeping coach i think has really helped lovely and um you know i think he'll he'll keep his um starting spot for the foreseeable future even if he does have a couple of mistakes in him i mean there have been a couple of times and a, a couple of worries obviously towards the end of uh yesterday's game uh obviously with uh had a little bit of a flap at the end which is a a little bit concerning, but got away with that. And there are a couple of moments where you can tell he's a little bit shaky. Um, but, you know, he's done much better than we expected uh, at the moment. And um, for that, we can only commend him. Yeah, let's talk about um, let's talk about the penalty incident. I mean, the, the goals, obviously, it's we can we, we can sit here and praise the goals a lot. Everyone knows what happens with the goals. The the first one, there's a, a really good piece of opportunities, opportunism from Andy Carroll just throws a foot at it um, and yeah it was a, a very good finish in a, in a good spot Tom Entz a bit lucky with the deflection but Reading did really well to win the ball back um, Reading do that high press kind of well I think I'd like to see a little bit more but maybe it's something that we kind of hold ourselves back on and restrict so we don't end up flagging towards the end of games too much but um, let's talk about the penalty I mean Andy Carroll did really well to win it as a good referee and spot it even if it was right in front of him there was as ever with a player that misses and Yakimete's penalty was a shambolic penalty. Let's not, let's not, uh, there's no two ways about it, but in terms of whether he should have taken it is kind of the question that came out of it. There's always hindsight with these sorts of things. Look at how he came in another world cup reference with the, with the England penalty in the quarterfinal. But for Yakimete before this penalty, he'd scored three and missed one. Andy Carroll, was the player that I'm sure a lot of fans would have happily given the ball to. He's obviously had a much longer career and he's only ever scored three penalties and missed one. So he had exactly the same record as Mate. Um, Tom Ince, for example, scored eight, missed five. Junior Hoylett scored five, missed four. Both of those are actually pretty rubbish penalty records. So I don't think with hindsight, I don't have any qualms with giving Mate the penalty. I know Carroll had scored one earlier in the season at QPR. So I don't what do you think about this one? Is it is it something that we probably shouldn't have given it to Mate or does it not? But just one of those things. I can see the point uh of people wanting Karen to take the penalty because obviously he scored already and and and, and you know mustn't have been short of confidence and um, you know put his penalty away against QPR actually reasonably well. So you know you definitely back him to take it. But in terms of Mate, I mean he's, I think he scored one of the best penalties that I've ever seen. I think it was against uh, it was for the under twenty threes, I think, against Southampton, and he like rifled the ball into the into the right hand corner. And I mean, even the one he missed, I remember it now. It was, um, I think, it was the, the push gas brace against um, against Cardiff. And we had the chance, to, I think, to make it four nil. And even that penalty wasn't too bad. It was a good save from Alex Smithies. So for me, yeah, I, I, as as you said, um, and I completely agree with you. I don't have any problems with him taking the penalty. Really, I think. Um, now, a lot can be said really in terms of hindsight, you know. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have any real problems uh, with him taking the spot kick. And you've got to remember as well that I think he did actually get quite a bit of criticism during the game. But he, I think he actually made that first goal with obviously winning the, the corner and the, and the free kick that led to the goal, uh, the first goal. 
uh, for Andy Carroll. Uh, you know, he mustn't have been short of confidence either. So, uh, and, and he's been pretty decent this season. So, you know, as you say, and as I'm going to say, yeah, no problems with him taking the penalty whatsoever. Yeah, I think that actually, and certainly in the first half, I thought Matey had a really good game. He was causing all kinds of problems down the left wing and he put in a really good cross in for the, in the second half. And yeah, I th- it's actually one of the things, having looked at Ince and Hoylet's records, and obviously, you know, Matey's is now three and two, which isn't particularly good, roughly about 66, 70% of penalties go in. Um, then you're thinking of the... Maybe in future, not that I'm expecting us to be in a penalty shootout situation much this season, but we actually haven't got loads of options. Lucas Shaw has been ropey from penalties, to say the least, as we all know from our playoff push a couple of years ago. Shane Long isn't someone that's taken loads over the years. And you're kind of looking around the team thinking, Who, who's going to take our penalties? So maybe we'll find out that that situation pops up in a penalty shootout situation. Um, I mean, I guess FA Cup or who knows, playoffs maybe further down the line. Um, qualms with their goal at all. Last question I'd have on this game is is whether we kind of did let them back in a little bit. I think it was a good cross, a good header to be fair. And then obviously it lands for the player. Our defenders do kind of stop. Nabi Saar doesn't really do much, really, even as the header's coming in. He could have kept going. Do you think Reading were maybe lucky to hold on in this one? Um, in, in terms of the first question, I mean, the goal, um, I think there was two players really that, that should have dealt with it. I mean, Nabi Saar, I think, is definitely one of them, um, 100%. And I think Baba Rahman as well was watched Joel Perot kind of get a run, really, on Nabi Saar and didn't really go with him. Uh, maybe that's a little bit harsh on, on Rahman, but, you know, he didn't go with him and he didn't really kind of, you know, perhaps um, communicate really with Saar or, or go with Perot. Um, and that's kind of the... The one thing really that I have with the goal, that's one real frustration is that there were two defenders really that, that could have done something about that. Um, I mean, you could say years on perhaps for not following in. Obviously, Liam Cullen you know, had all the time in the world to tap the ball home. Um, but I guess it was a, a pretty natural human reaction really to, to stop when it's when, when the ball's hit the post. So I don't really have any problems with him. I, I just think it was Sar and Rahman that, that, that could, do, could have done a little bit more. In terms of... Then perhaps getting an equaliser. Obviously, I think it was Harry Darling who had a, a really good opportunity. Obviously, to, to to make it two two. Obviously, scored against us earlier in the season. So um, yeah, the fact that he did have a, a free header there, you know, kind of near the end, um, you know, that wasn't exactly ideal. But you know, we, we were reasonably decent actually d- defensively, uh, kind of defending our box, and I think we were kind of ruthless really at, at both ends. And I think that was kind of the difference between the the two teams. So. You could definitely say that perhaps Swansea deserved an equaliser. I mean, they had, you know, a couple of chances, obviously Perot in the first half as well, when kind of, I think it was Holmes that lost him. Um, so they did have like a couple of chances and I'm not even going to count possession because that counts for nothing, but I'm going to obviously count chances and they had their chances, but in the end, um, they weren't ruthless enough. I think if you look at the possession stats, it is like 75% to Swansea, but yeah, it is goals at the end of the day. And also one actually, one kind of important... Um, stat as well as the Reading won 14 of the 18 aerial duels in this game and you know if you're putting balls in the box and everything it's the championship but a lot of the time that's how the goals come from and that's where the that's where Reading excelled in this one right then let's hear from Paul Ince after the Reading game talking to the club media and then we'll go into the mailbag hearing from you guys give them the lifeline and after that you back to the wall stuff and you know I said to the players after you can't keep you've got to focus and concentrate defensively at all times and we didn't do that, and they had a header in the last two minutes, probably penalty spot, free header, 
straight at Joe. Another day that goes in, and it's 2-2, two -two and you're coming in there sitting, you know, depressed because you should have won the game. Uh, and that's they've got to learn, as much as it's a really vital three points for us. You can't keep playing games like that and make it like, You've got to switch on and be focused and be structured, and if you don't do that, you're going to get punished. Don't care who you're playing against. And I've told them that in there, you know, I've told them in there, and I'm not happy about that at all, uh, and I must learn from it. For all the latest Reading news, analysis and opinion, visit the website at thetilehurstend.com. So, Maf starts us off. Did Russell Martin just get Paul inced? I think we can safely say this was an official Paul incing. I think that's the what we've been talking about so far in the show. I think I think we'd, we'd agree that's a, that's an official Paul incing, would we not? Yeah, one hundred percent. He's been Paul inced, um, and he's come to take his three points. Yeah, that, that is, it's as simple as that, really. He has been one hundred percent Paul inced. Yeah, I think it's very nearly a trademark Paul incing. Um, for sure. So, yeah, go, definitely go for that. Um, we also have this week RFC Joe saying thoughts on the defensive substitutions. Now, about 65 minutes in, we had um, Baba Rahman came on for Yaku Meise. Defensive change. Um, I think that's fair to say. Hoylet kind of moving further up the pitch. Obviously, Rahman going in at left back. 80 minutes in, Carolyn Hoylet went off for long and Mbengue. Um, on the face of it, I mean, yeah, Reading did drop too deep and everything. And yes, we weren't keeping possession at all in this game. So it was always going to be a case that um, we were going to, against a more technically savvy team, always probably going to fall in a little bit deeper and not just kind of click our fingers and have loads of possession at the end of the game. But generally speaking, I think on those three subs are kind of all fine. If they if they don't work out, then that's kind of more on the players, if you know what I mean. Because on paper... Rahman, Longen and Benge is a really good three players to bring on in the championship. And looking at the bench who didn't come on, I mean, Lucas Shaw wouldn't have done much. Femi Aziz maybe on the break would have been useful. Guinness Walker, I'd rather have Rahman come on. So yeah, I'm actually kind of all right with, with the subs. It's kind of more, it's the tactics more than the, the way that Reading couldn't be a team at all to keep possession and kind of take the edge off the game late on. Yeah, I think for me the the, the Rahman substitution made me a, a little bit nervous. Obviously, he hasn't been absolutely brilliant this season, so that was the the one substitution that that made me a little bit nervous. Um, and obviously, and Benga as well has to get a lot of credit. Obviously, um, he was dropped for this game. Obviously, after his uh, error against Birmingham, and, and he came back and, and did a good job and did what he needed to do for us to get the three points in the end. So. Um, you know, fair play to him for for coming back like that and um, you know putting in a, a decent shift there near the end. Um, in terms of Rahman, I think he was he's reasonably fine. I mean, in terms of the um, goal, obviously we we've spoken about that. I think he could have done a little bit more, and there was a a moment where he kind of spooned it back into his own area. But generally, I thought he was okay. I think he was a five out of ten. Um, and obviously, Shane Long was was pretty decent uh, against Coventry. Uh, I think it was Coventry uh, kind of near the end and, and allowing us to get that three points and and really helping us in that mission. So, yeah, I didn't really have any kind of qualms with, with the substitutions. And as you mentioned now, I, I think I'd rather have Rahman rather than Guinness Walker when we kind of got a 2-0 lead. Um, would I have kind of changed things too much? Probably not. I probably would have carried on, you know, in a similar manner. Um, but... Yeah, I think that was obviously, as you mentioned, the tactics. I think we did drop in a little bit too deep, kind of in the end. I know that it's it has actually won us points at times, um, but it, you know it doesn't do anything for our health really. Um, so I think for me, I think it's the tactics, as you say, that more than the the kind of the, the substitutions and the personnel that came on. 
Yeah, remarkably similar to the to a few games we've had at home actually this season. The Coventry game, obviously, very recently, where Reading arguably weren't the best team on the day, but got the goal and then made it stick. And that's you know that's really Championship football in a nutshell, isn't it? Um, we're actually just to update you on the table. We're eighth at the moment now. Eleven wins, two draws, eleven defeats. Only three teams have won more games than us this season, which is a hell of a stat. I think actually only two teams have lost more games than us as well. That's Wigan and Huddersfield, the bottom two. So, I mean, it's the it's the lack of draws that I guess are actually keeping Reading high up the table at the moment. And I, I don't think it's exactly you know we could very easily have lost wins to draws about three of those wins you could, if they're to turn to draws you'd say fair enough but a lot of our losses I wouldn't particularly say we were really in the game for a for a draw in that one so we've come out the right side of these narrow games I'd say more often than not um with 35 points four points above us is third and Blackburn that's you know the top two are kind of going now Burnley and Sheffield United are well clear 15 points clear of us now Burnley um, drop down three points and you get 16th. That's where Swansea are and actually where we would have been had we not won this game. Um, so the mid-table is really tight, but actually a little bit of a gap now to the relegation zone. Ten points now reading a clear of Blackpool in 22nd. And there are a few teams um, not too far off of Blackburn or Blackpool rather in, um, you know, Bristol uh, 18th, 27 points. So Reading really looking good for the championship at the moment in terms of the safety battle at the very least and looking ahead Thomas Hill with the final question this week saying how many points are we getting in the Premier League next season <laughs> I would I would at the moment with this team and all the contracts running out I'd probably say about seven if we if we don't do anything I was going, going to kind of flip this question Adam say what three things would happen if we went up because you know, it's a it's a bit of a dream question at the moment, a bit of a fantasy, really. But what three things would actually happen, Reading and otherwise, if we went up? And I think the first thing I would throw in is that we would sign a hell of a lot of players. <laughs> I think the Nottingham Forest man- model, a bit of a Fulham. I know it doesn't always work. Villa as well have done it. But I really think we'd be one of those teams that would just throw money at about 16, 17 players. Um, but I mean, otherwise, it's I'm not. I, th- I think pundits would implode. Certainly, the EFL pundits would pretend, probably pretend it didn't happen if we went up, and they certainly wouldn't be pretending that, that they or wouldn't be accepting that they were wrong. Although I suppose we'd we'd all be wrong because none of us thought we'd be going up. Um, so, what what sort sort of things do you think would be happening if if we did go up? Yeah, I think this uh, question is Paul into me to be honest with you because I've been I've been focusing on on relegation, so this has kind of bamboozled me in a way. Um, I completely uh, go along with, with the same lines as you, really, in terms of spending on a lot of players. Obviously, there's a lot of loanies at our club, obviously all five. Um, uh, there, I, think, I think there's five at the moment. Um, and there's obviously some players out of contract and obviously some players that are probably not good enough to play in the Premier League. So I definitely think that you know we'd probably give Nottingham Forest a run for our money 100%. Um, we've probably been in a, a pretty similar position actually to Forest in terms of the number of loanies that have left. Obviously, they have the likes of Jed Spence, James Garner, uh, Philip Zinkanagu obviously didn't come back um, to, to City Ground. Obviously, Keenan Davis as well. So, uh, and Max Lowe. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think we'd spend quite a lot of money. Um, I think Paul Lynch will probably get a 10 year contract extension or, or something like that because um, that would be a massive, massive achievement. So, that's two things. The third thing, um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what would happen. I think um, Dayong, 
I don't know, maybe get a little bit over ambitious and maybe kind of um, increase the capacity of the, the SCL stadium, maybe get it to like a, a 38,000, maybe. Maybe you think, um, you know, obviously if we get 24,000 in, maybe for, for obviously the promotion game or something like that, or, you know, when we get promotion, there's going to be like 24,000 people there. Uh, maybe you'll think that, that there's perhaps more people that will come um, and watch Reading for the long term and maybe kind of increase the capacity quite a bit. I know there were previous plans to, I think that was during Zingarevich um, and also I think Majewski as well at, at some point there was going to be plans for it to to be increased the, the stadium capacity. So I think that would happen as well maybe. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a tough question. Yeah, well, I think um, I think my third thing is that Paul Ince would oh, I don't know what he'd do with the tactics like Paul Ince as a Premier League manager I really don't know if he would stick with this kind of Ince ball in 25% possession or if he would change it I think he would change it up a little bit and become a little bit more I think we'd sign players that can actually keep the ball in midfield um, would be my final prediction for if, if Reading went up at the end of the season firing these um, for the for the you know, the Twitter and the Facebook and the email, the thetylerstand.gmail.com, if you think you know exactly what would happen if Reading went up. But yeah, I think that's my final point, is that Reading would leave aside the ball a little bit and probably have, what you know, some players certainly up front that would be a bit more target men-esque. But I think in the in the Premier League, you would really have to invest in some ball-keeping midfielders, um, which I would expect us to do right then. Talking of teams that are constantly bouncing between the Premier League and Championship, Reading are going to Norwich on the 30th. That's uh, Friday, actually, December 30th. We're going to Norwich for an evening kickoff, which you're going to preview now. Be loud and be proud and back the boys and make some noise. Come on, you Oz! Shout out to this week's podcast sponsor, ZCZ Films, showing that age is no barrier to being a hooli hoop. Right then, 7.45pm at Carrow Road. It's a game that's on the Sky Sports Red Button and the associated um, streaming sites, if you're abroad and everything, um, to tune into that. Uh, no, it's really, not really, I don't know if they've done Reading a favour or, or not. Probably not in that they've sacked their manager, Dean Smith. They'd just been beaten by Luton away from home. Um, although it was a late one, they've been they'd lost to Blackburn at home and lost to Middlesbrough at home um previously. So three defeats in four. And I don't know if I don't, are we happy that they've sat their manager? Because they're not doing terribly. You know, they're fifth in the league. They would be a hard team to go and face with Dean Smith as their manager. But we, I suppose we're going to find out now. Is it the manager? Is it the players? I look at that Norwich team and I'm not convinced that I'm looking at a team that should be top of the league anyway. So I'm, I must say I'm, I'm, my confidence hasn't been hugely dampened by the fact they've got rid of their manager. Um, for me, I mean, you look at Norwich's current current position and it looks okay on paper, but that's only on paper. I mean, the, the atmosphere at Carroll Road, I mean, it just became untenable, really. It was a toxic atmosphere there, um, both at home and, and away. Obviously, at Kenilworth Road as well, I heard that it got a little bit toxic there too so so for me I think it's bad news for us that um that the Dean Smith has gone because I think obviously with the home crowd perhaps get getting um a little bit frustrated uh with the players I think that would have worked kind of worked for us really worked well for us so um the fact that they have um kind of sacked Dean Smith I think that'll kind of 
I don't know, maybe it will take the shackles off of uh, Norwich's players and, and that they can go out and express themselves and not really have anything to lose until a new manager comes in. I don't think they'll be in limbo until a new manager comes in. I think they'll just play freely and, and I think that'll work for them. So I think from, from my perspective anyway, I don't think it's a good thing that, that Smith has been sacked. I think obviously there's a lot of expectations on him as, as a manager who's got you know, Aston Villa promoted before, so uh, and obviously did well with, with Brentford as well, and and, and also in the past. So and there were a lot of expectations on him. I don't think um, the Norwich fans were a massive uh, fan of the either style of play either. So I think you know if he was still manager, uh, we should be kind of rubbing our hands together. But now that he's not, um, I'm kind of looking forward to the fixture perhaps a little bit less. Um, obviously. Norwich have probably got a better team on paper than us, um, but that's no real surprise. And, and we've beaten teams before that have, you know, got got perhaps better teams. Obviously, we've beaten Coventry, we've got the likes of Callum O'Hare and, and Victor Gjokares. So, no, we, we shouldn't have anything to fear coming into this game. But um, I, I'm looking forward to it less than I was um, a couple of days ago uh, before he was sacked. Yeah, I know what you mean. That that the the danger is that the shackles loosen and everything. I think that's certainly a good point to make. The I mean, you compare it to the Swansea game, for example. We did well against Swansea centre-backs because they're three not particularly brilliant, perhaps quite youthful centre-backs. You've got the complete opposite at Norwich. Ben Gibson and Grant Hanley are going to know, you know, they're not going to have... They're definitely going to have faced Andy Carroll before. Then They're not going to fear that too much. We've actually not got a horrific record um, at Norwich. I know we've we've lost a couple of times in our, our last two trips or last couple of trips with had a... Andy Rinomotta with a very, very late equaliser not that long ago. We drew one all with them earlier in the season, of course. Timu Puki always one to look out for, particularly our defence not being hugely quick. He's got three goals in five games against Reading, so always one to uh, to watch out for. And um, yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting one because as this Norwich team really could come out with the shackles unleashed. We could sit in too deep and they could have, you know, free run at us and, and have loads of chances. But at the same point, there is a genuine chance that this Norwich team and and it's not it's pretty much the same team they've had for a good few years now with McLean and Pookie, as I mentioned, Max Aarons, Hanley. Um it, it could be the end of the road for that team. And th- this season could be the time that they need to to kind of start again and 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 rally once more. And perhaps we can play a role in that with a uh, with a good performance. West Brom obviously has sat, sat their manager just before playing us early in the season and that didn't work out. I swear that teams used to wait until the humiliation of being beaten by Reading before going and sacking their manager. Now they seem to preempt said humiliation. So uh so yeah we'll find out. What's let's let's do some predictions then to round off the show. Um very mixed bag against Swansea actually three defeats a draw and three wins all three wins were 2-1 so Westy Ben and Adam you all picked up three points on that Ben leads the league on 18 points now um then Westy then it is actually yourself Adam um in fourth just behind handbags who's on 14 points so as you were as you're on a bit of a run Adam that was uh four points you got in the last two games Do you want to start us off with a prediction for Norwich well um well, at least we haven't got uh, Alpha Semedo kind of up front like we did. I think it was a home game during the 2020-21 season. That was awful. Um, at least we have some proper forwards at our disposal this time, uh, hopefully, uh, barring an injury crisis between now and then. Um, score prediction. I'm going to go with a 1-1. Um, I think that's maybe optimistic, but um, I don't think we should have anything to fear. Um, and I think that uh, perhaps Andy Carroll can get himself on the score sheet again. 
Yeah, I can see a one-one. I'm put. I went for a defeat for the Swansea game purely on the basis that it wasn't. I was just kind of being pessimistic, and it didn't work out for me. I'm actually going to stay pessimistic on the basis that I know maybe to play the game because I'm a little bit further behind um, to see if we can uh, catch up some points in the in the prediction league. So I'm going to go three-one to Norwich. I'm going to say maybe not the uh, maybe not a game that we particularly enjoy, but I do. it's just the unpredictability of it. I think you can argue it either way, as we have done in this preview. I really think that there's a good chance that Norwich collapse, but then also probably, as I'm sure is playing head over heart, you're realistically looking at Norwich playing a bit better now they've sat their manager. So that's, um, so that's, as I say, on a Friday night, December the 30th for a 7.45 PM kickoff um, in the championship. There's a, Quite a big um, weekend or midweek, I guess, action in the championship. Most teams will be playing um, on the Thursday night, the 29th. And then there's also quite a few games on the 1st as well. So Reading right in amongst the, the Christmas uh, fixtures at the moment. In terms of when we return for the podcast, we also have West Brom away on the 2nd. Um, I'm not entirely sure my personal, any you know, anyone's schedule really will mean that we can do a New Year's Eve or a New Year's Day podcast. It might be after the West Brom game that we come back from. And I guess, Adam, in that, just to have a quick word on that one as well, that's going to be a difficult game. West Brom, yeah. I think obviously they've, I think they've benefited from sacking Steve Bruce. Um, I think uh, a certain Mr. Runkle, they took far too long to relieve him of his duties, uh, made the wrong appointment in the first place. Um, but in the end, I think they've got the right man in to, to take them forward. Uh, I'm not 100% sure where they'll be in, in, in the playoffs, but you know, it, I think it's always better perhaps to be catching up rather than kind of sitting there perhaps on the edge of the playoffs waiting to, to be overtaken. So you know, they've got momentum in their favour and um, they've certainly got the depth there um, and the quality to, to cause us some real problems. Obviously, likes John Swift, Jeb Wallace. Daryl DK, Okar Yakusli, you know, all of those players really can make a real difference in this league. Um, So I I definitely back, I think, West Brom to to perhaps take three points from that one, unfortunately. Uh, And it's just a shame, really, that the Bruce still isn't in charge because I think I'd be a little bit more uh, optimistic. Um, And obviously, I, I think our recent kind of record at the Hawthorns isn't brilliant either. I know that we... I think we lost during Slavin Bilic's time in charge there when they got promoted. And uh, obviously we lost 1-0 last season as well in a game that didn't really have too much quality from either team, certainly not in the final third anyway. So um, it, that's going to be a tough one. And um, I can definitely see us losing that one. I, I think I'm more confident of getting something for Richard than I am at uh, West Brom at the start. Yeah, West Brom have uh, won three in a row at home um, at the moment with uh, without conceding, actually. Um, but they have got Preston before they play us, so that record could change. So, uh, yeah, I think I think most Reading fans would say if you offered maybe a point out of those two, certainly a win out of those two or two draws, we'd be happy with that because they are two of the toughest fixtures that we will face this season and they're kind of back-to-back as well. Um, but at the very least, Reading have started what is a very tough Christmas period with three points. So uh, very happy with that. And Adam, very happy to have you on. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure to be back on.
Absolutely. And we'll be back in the new year. So it's the final podcast of 2022. If you've, uh, if you haven't picked up the Christmas podcast we've done, um, don't worry about it being out of date or anything because it's the awards that we went through for 2022, handed out our typical end of year reward awards and also the review of the year. So definitely go and listen to that if you haven't. Otherwise, we will see you in the new year. Hopefully Reading can start it with a bit of a bang with two very tricky away games. Come on, you ours. You smile, funny